You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. That's a joy to be here tonight, and congratulations, Heritage Baptist Church. My goodness, uh, what a beautiful building, and uh, beautiful auditorium, and offices, and uh, classrooms, and so I rejoice with you. I know you're excited to be moved into this place, and I, 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 am, I am impressed because it doesn't seem like you've lost any of the spirit uh, of the old auditorium. Sometimes churches will move into a bigger auditorium. There's something very special about that, about a tight space that's jam-packed. And then you come into a place where there's more room and you can lose that excited revival spirit. But I sense that same spirit in the room tonight. And uh, I'm glad. I know you've had a wonderful beginning uh, to this new year and rejoice with you in that and appreciate the invitation to come back and be here uh, at Heritage once again. Uh, My wife could not come this year because she is in Panama. Our youngest daughter and her husband just gave birth to their second child and she loves the Chase and she loves Heritage Baptist Church, but you finish a distant second and third to a new granddaughter, okay? Just so you know that, but that's where she is. But uh, she asked me to say hello uh, to the church and of course appreciates the time that she had to come here in the previous years. And so I'll be going there on uh, Lord willing on Wednesday and get to see the little girl, spend a week there, and then we'll be back and pick up where we leave off, which is hitting the road, amen, and, and hopefully living for the Lord. So good to see you. Thanks for, for being here on a Monday night, an off night in a, uh, I guess, in a normal week to have a church service, but it's never an off night when you get to come together in the assembly and sing and worship and hear preaching. Amen. And so I'm glad tonight to be here. Uh, There were three ladies up at Providence Baptist College that wanted to crawl in the suitcase uh, and come home, but unfortunately it just wouldn't work. And so, but they're doing well and having a good year and the school is having a great year. Uh, it's, it's, It's maybe one of the best attendances in a spring semester preacher that we've seen up there. And so it's, uh, it's a thrilling place to serve and uh, enjoy being there every Thursday. And I don't get to teach the girls. I usually teach fellas, but I see them in the hallway and they were so excited about the new auditorium, so excited about this meeting. And uh, I'm happy for them that they love their home church. That's important that the college you send your kids to keeps them in love with their home church and doesn't try to steal their hearts. You know what I'm saying? So that's a good thing. Genesis chapter four tonight, Genesis chapter four. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with brother Che and his wife, of course, and then to see brother Abe and his wife here, Mandy and the Che's. And then I, I, I really appreciate just the opportunity to be uh, on the same platform once again with a dear friend, brother Gomez. I would think preacher that we have less of these left than we did some years ago when we started out. And so I counted an honor. I counted an honor to preach with Brother Gomez. Tremendous help, tremendous example. 
tremendous friend all these years, and I appreciate the opportunity to preach with him tonight. You know, you come to a meeting, you pray, you ask the Lord, okay, you have these sermons. I'm not like Denny Coral. Denny Coral brings his suitcase of sermons up here, and your prayer is that he just picks one sermon and not four. And, uh, but, uh, you, you know, you got all these messages, and you're praying and asking God to lay on your heart the one that you believe he has chosen for the moment. And uh, so sometimes things happen that help you kind of know, okay, Lord, I'm on the right track. And we just heard a wonderful song about the subject of prayer, bow the knee. And I want you to notice verse 25 in Genesis chapter four, <clears throat> the last two verses of the chapter. The Bible says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son and he called his name Enos. Now notice this, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Isn't that an interesting statement? Then became, began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And so I just want to preach on that subject for a little bit tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you and rejoice with this church and your great blessings, uh, your favor on them to drive onto the property this afternoon and see the building completed and functioning and to see the number of folks that have come and been saved already in this auditorium and through this ministry this year. Lord, it's just, it's just so encouraging to see you using uh, the younger men of our day who are asking for the old paths. And so Lord, I, I just pray that you'll continue to keep your hand of blessing on this place. And now we come to the time of preaching your word. I pray, oh Lord, you'd fill both speaker and listener with your spirit tonight. I pray that you'd accomplish the thing, that the work that you want in every heart. And we'll be careful to thank you for it. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. We, I'm sure nobody here would say they love you. they love you as much as they should. But we do to some degree love you. And we thank you for saving our souls and for giving us a life worth living. And that for the privilege to preach and be in the service tonight is just a blessing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 2023, the Lord laid upon my heart for an emphasis or a theme, if you will, for our church in Bourbon A, the magnified word, the magnified word. Psalm 138 tells us that God has magnified his, his word above all his name. Now you think about that, you meditate on that for a little bit. That's, that's how highly God esteems his word. And so I was praying throughout 23 for the Lord's will concerning our church in 24 and uh, what's the emphasis and what's the theme and I thought you know what better what better Christian discipline what better Christian exercise to follow emphasizing the word of God than that of prayer and so the Lord laid on my heart several passages in the New Testament where Jesus when he was teaching on the subject of prayer he said when ye pray he didn't say if ye pray he said when ye pray it's kind of an expectation 
expectation for the Christian life. And so that is the theme for our church this year, 2024. My desire is uh, for this year is for all of us at Faith Baptist Church to allow the Holy Spirit to develop within us a greater desire to pray. That the men of Faith Baptist, the ladies of Faith Baptist, the, the boys and girls and the young people will grow in the privilege of prayer. I, I, I believe prayer is the one exercise in the Christian life that Satan fights the hardest. Now, if I can be a little transparent for a moment, I'm not proud of this at all, but it's, it's that prayer is, is the Christian exercise, the discipline that I probably, I fight, it's my biggest fight. I can be, I can be praying and find my mind a hundred miles away from talking to the Lord. And then you fight sleep and then, you know, you get pressed for time and well, let me read my Bible, but I got enough time to read my Bible, but I don't have enough time to pray. It's, it's crazy. And I believe one of the reasons for that is, is because everything we do that concerns living for God, everything we do, whether, whether it is reading our Bible, whether it's soul winning, whether it's building a, a marriage, building a family, whether it's teaching or preaching or singing, you name it, everything we do in the name of living for God is enhanced by and through prayer. And we don't have a dumb enemy, folks. We have a pretty wise enemy. Why would he not fight this matter of prayer? I know years ago, someone did a survey of pastors, just pastors. And if I remember correctly, there was only two questions uh, on the survey. Two things they were asked to do. Number one, they were asked to list in order, in their opinion, the most important things that a pastor does. And so they, uh, they started, you know, the pastors would list those things. And then the second thing they were asked to do was to put that list in order as to how much time you give to each one during the week. So when the surveys came back in, by far, the number one duty on all those, most of those pastors list of priority, priority in the Christian life, the number one thing by and large was prayer. And prayer was last on the list of how much time was given to it in a week by those same pastors. So, you know, the most important thing in their ministry received the least amount of their time. And that's not just true about pastors, that's true about Christian living. Because this is what Satan fights in our life. And I want to talk about this subject a little bit tonight. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And in this book of beginnings, we find the beginning of the discipline or exercise that we know as prayer. If you read the Bible chronologically, you're going to read through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then you're going to read the book of Job. And so this time period predates that of Job or maybe contemporary with Job. And I want you to see in verse number 26 again that the Bible says, the very last phrase of the chapter, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, calling on God is used often in the Bible to describe praying. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 24, Elijah's on Mount Carmel, remember that? And he says, call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. He was talking about praying. In Psalm, 118, Psalm 116, verse 17, the psalmist said, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 3, one of the most memorized verses about prayer. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Romans 10, 13, if you're a soul winner, you've used that verse for whosoever shall 
call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so call is often used in the Bible synonymously with the subject of prayer. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So I'm reading that one day and that, that maybe the Spirit of God it was that brought to my mind by thinking, okay, what is it? What is it? What happened here that motivated men to begin to pray? What happened here? Because the Bible clearly says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So I started reading chapter four and two, two, just uh, two really important things happened in chapter two that I believe were used to motivate men to begin to pray. And maybe as we look at this tonight, if you've been a little bit unmotivated in the area of prayer, maybe God will use it tonight in your life to motivate you in this matter of calling on the name of the Lord. First of all, I want you to see that men began to pray when sin was beginning to bear fruit. When sin was beginning to bear fruit. Look at verse number eight in chapter four. You know the story here. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Look at verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Now, we know the details of Cain's murder. He murdered his brother Abel. We don't know the details of the murder that Lamech committed. Now, people, listen. Sin entered into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And we read about that in chapter 3. And we know that sin had immediate consequences in the lives, in their personal relationship with God. It had immediate consequences in themselves. Look at, look at chapter three. You're right there. Look at verse number 16. This is God speaking to Eve after the fall unto the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband. He shall rule over thee. So there, there's the immediate consequence of sin in the personal life of Eve. Verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee. Verse 18, uh, thorns and thistles shall the ground bring forth in the sweat of thy face. So there's the immediate results of sin in Adam's life personally. The curse of sin brought those results to Adam and Eve immediately. But in chapter four, the curse of sin begins to bear fruit in man's relationship to each other. Cain murders Abel. Lamech murders a young man. And by the way, church, is it any wonder that the first and second recorded sins between people is murder, is death? Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. James 1, 15, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Folks, sin is a killer. It is a killer. Are you listening tonight? Sin brings forth death. That's physical death and that's spiritual death. Now here's my question. The longer time goes in this world, is the fruit of sin decreasing or is it increasing? That's a pretty simple question to answer, isn't it? The fruit of, the, the root of sin has existed since Genesis chapter three. 
And it, it's born fruit. It was introduced in chapter four, but now in 2024 here this year, in the time that you and I are living, the, the, the fruit of sin is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It's bearing fruit just unbelievably. I, this past year, I, we have a garden usually at our house and I'm, I am a Southern boy from Georgia. And so I like okra. I like okra any way you can cook it. I like it, uh, I like it fried. And the way you get it at Cracker Barrel is not fried okra. That's not fried okra, folks. Fried okra is when you take some flour and cornmeal and get you a black iron skillet and you put a little oil in there and you fry it up good and crisp and it's not battered like that. I like it, that, I like it boiled. That's the easiest way to eat it. It slides right down your throat without even anything. anything. So we planted some, I planted some okra in the garden and, and it, I forget if it was a lack of, didn't rain or what it was, it didn't, it didn't do any good. So I, I plowed it up and I replanted it again. And I'm telling you what, I don't know what the Lord did, but that okra began to bear fruit and it bore and it bore and it bore and it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. I'm cutting buckets full of okra. Our freezer is stacked full right now of fried okra. And every now and again, Joyce will pull a bag out and make it in January. I'm eating fried okra from the garden preacher. It's just, it just multiplied, just multiplied, 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 multiplied. People sin is so prominent in our world today that God's people have become numb to its effects. The things that used to cause us to blush now don't cause us a moment's notice. And I want to tell you that God became full of fury. That's, what the, that's the word that's used. He became full of fury against his people in Jerusalem because of this very thing. The fact that they had lost their ability to blush at sin. We won't turn to it, but Jeremiah 6, 15 and 8, 12, almost are word for word. Here's what the Bible says about Israel. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. And people, when God's folks, when God's people lose their ability to blush at sin, we are in trouble. And both verses continue, therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. When you lose your ability to blush at sin, you're going to fall. Look, do, do you not want to end up as a casualty when it comes to the fruit of sin? Then don't become casual about sin in your life. Don't live so close to the edge between right and wrong, between good and evil, that you have no margin for error. You've got to, look, just living close to the edge of sin puts you that much closer to seeing and hearing the sinful things that can vex your soul. And you're going to lose your ability to blush at sin. And that's very dangerous. And I'm going to tell you how, how, just how close all of us are. We carry it with us everywhere we go. It's called a phone. And once again, Yesterday, I had to deal with a young man who's in bad shape because of his phone. I'm telling you, we've lost the ability to blush at things that used to cause God's people to blush. 
Now listen, what's the answer to this danger of sin just multiplying? And, and it, folks, it's always existed, but it's so in your face now. It's just in your face. What's the answer to it? Well, I'll tell you the answer. Jeremiah chapter six and verse number 16, listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? Stand ye in the ways and do what? Ask and see, ask. And what is prayer? Prayer is asking. Pray for God to show you clearly the right path to walk in. To the, the old paths of righteousness and holiness. Are you, are you praying at all for God to help you stay away from sin? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. When sin began to bear fruit in the world, you know, neo-fundamentalists, the contemporary preachers of our day, they make a mockery of the old paths. Make a mockery of it. I like the old paths. I like the old path of holy living and righteous standards of living and righteous standards of behavior. Listen, old paths is nothing to mock or criticize. And we, we, folks, we've, we've, we've come so far from the old past, we can't blush. It's, we, we accept things as just normal now. The, the average Christian camp in America, you go there and you'll find the boys at the swimming pool with nothing on but a little pair of short trunks. You say, what in the, wrong, what in the world's wrong with that, preacher? Well, if the girls were down there at the pool with nothing on but a little pair of trunks, everybody be in an uproar. Why would that be? Why would everybody be in an uproar? Because they're all naked. Well, they're, na they're down there swimming naked. Naked means not covered or bare. So naked means not covered or bare unless it's, unless it's, the, unless it's the male skin. That's not covered or bare. See, when you have camps, that have some kind of conviction and youth activities where there's some kind of conviction and the boys keep their clothes on and the girls keep their clothes on. It's mocked at, it's laughed at. And I'm gonna tell you something folks, there's no difference in male skin exposed and female skin exposed. It both is false. And this is, just, this is just an example of how far we have. You say, Brother Angel, you're too old fashioned. No, 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 look, listen to me, listen. Look, we have lost the ability to blush at sin. Sin has just exploded the fruit of it since it was introduced in Genesis chapter three. You didn't find murder in Genesis chapter three. You find murder in chapter four. It got introduced in chapter three. Here comes chapter four. Now we've got not one, but two murders. And we're a long ways from Genesis chapter four in 2024. And sin is multiplying and multiplying and multi. Don't tell me that it doesn't zap your spirit spiritual strength. Don't tell me it doesn't zap your spiritual energy. It does mine. And if you're honest, it does yours too. What's the antidote to this? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. I ask you, if men began to pray when the fruit of sin started manifesting itself in the beginning, how much more 
do we need to pray now that the fruit of sin is exploding? God's people need to call on him for power to live holy in a world where the fruit of sin is abundant all around us. And I'll tell you what, Jesus, he knew the importance of what I'm talking about. He knew the importance of this very thing because in his priestly prayer in John 17, verse 15, listen to what he said. He's talking to his father and he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Look, we're to live in this world. We're not to be isolated from people. How are you ever going to tell anybody about Christ if you isolate yourself from people? And Jesus knew that. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but I am asking you, while they're in the world, please keep them from sin. Kind of reminds me what he taught in his model prayer. Folks, you read Matthew 6, you read Luke chapter 11, what Jesus taught those disciples about prayer was in direct response to their question, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, pray this way. It's not a prayer to just memorize and quote without any sincerity. But the topics that Jesus covered in that prayer. Now, let me ask you a question. Of all the things that are going on in life, do you think that the things that Jesus taught us to pray about are important? And one of those things, and lead us not in temptation, but... Oh. Maybe that's why our churches are filled with sin today. Maybe we're not calling on God. Maybe we're not praying. Maybe we're not asking God to help us live holy, to help us live righteous. And I'm not up here pointing, you know, one finger at you tonight like you're bad. I, look, I struggle too. Look, Lot vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing of their unlawful deeds. I don't think Lot ever participated in those unlawful deeds, but his soul was vexed anyway. That's the, that's the power of sin. It's the power of evil. And for you and I to think that we're going to live in obedience to God's commands and live holy and a sanctified set apart life without asking him for his help. We're barking up the wrong tree. Barking up the wrong tree. We are not supposed to leave this world, but we are to allow God to keep us from the evil of this world. That's what we're supposed to do. You say, well, what, Brother Angel, how do you pray about this? I tell you what, folks, I've encouraged people. I just started doing this some years ago, and I encourage folks in our church to do it. You know, one of the great things you can do is memorize this book and pray Scripture. That young man I dealt with yesterday, 
I sent him home to get on his knees with his open Bible and read as his prayer, Psalm 51. Let me tell you a great verse that would be wonderful to pray if you're, if you're serious about living holy and right for God in this world that's the fruit of sin is just exploding. It's Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. More than just in the sight of man, because man can only see so deep. But I'll tell you where God can see. God can see all the way down, folks, to the innermost being. Let the words of my mouth, and nowadays usually it's at breakfast table with Joyce when we're just going to have a bowl of cereal or maybe some yogurt and fruit, and we have a quick prayer. And uh, Lord, today, thank you for the day. Let the words of our mouth, let the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, oh God, our strength and our redeemer. God is our strength. God is our redeemer. Why do we have powerless Christians why, are, are we not praying? He brought us back from the, the, brought us back from the power of sin. He not only saved us from, the, from sin's penalty, he saved us from sin's power. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our bodies and he gives us power over sin's temp temptations. Shame on us for not asking him, the Spirit of God, the Son of God, God the Father, to empower us for victory over sin. And I'll tell you, there is a direct correlation in Scripture between holiness and power. And folks, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a sanctimonious holiness where you, you get so pharisaical and you get so weird that you're off the charts. I'm talking about real holiness. Real holiness. Listen, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter one about Jesus Christ, the Bible says, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ was anointed with the power of God above any other human that's ever lived. And then he tells us why. For thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And it's easy for us to hate iniquity in Antifa. It's easy for us to hate iniquity in, in, the, in the liberals. It's easy for us to hate iniquity in the LG, all the, all the alphabet. But it's difficult for us to hate the iniquity that's in us. It's a different story. One of the things that prayer does is exposes us to the nature and character of God. I, I, yes, there are times when my prayer is, is glory, glory shouting time. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. I believe that's scriptural. 
But there are other times when really, I think it really, the Spirit of God is really, like Jude says, praying in the Spirit, where the, the longer you pray, the smaller you get. And it's because you're in the, bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages. Exposes us to his holiness. You know, that's, that's, that's probably the most critical attribute of God. Critical. When Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, looked up into the throne room of heaven, he saw those angelic beings flying around the throne of God. They were not singing love, love, love. They were not singing grace, grace, grace. Mercy, they were singing what church? 800 years later on the Isle of Patmos, 800 years later, John the Apostle sees into the very throne room, the same throne room that Isaiah looked into. And there are those creatures still flying around the throne. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the Bible says they rest not day and night, which tells me that for all 800 of those years, those angelic beings were flying around God's throne. Holy, holy, holy. When you and I get into a serious time of prayer, we're exposed to the nature of that holy God and it sheds light on just exactly how unholy I am. God help me. I see billboards, I see advertisements and hear this language over here and in the airport, here comes this woman dressed like, and I, it's just a constant battle. Constant, unless you don't care. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. When did men begin to call on the name of the Lord? They began to call on the name of the Lord when sin began to bear fruit. And brother, it's bearing fruit today. I'll tell you what, you want Heritage Baptist Church to have a power that a lot of churches don't have? You let God make a holy church here. Now, I don't mean the kind of holiness that looks down at people and thinks of themselves as better than everybody else. But folks, folks, there's ditches on both sides of the road and people go off the right as easy as they go off the left. I'm just talking about walking in righteousness and walking in holiness. And if, if we're gonna do that, we're going to have to pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. When men began, when sin began to bear fruit, why did men begin to pray? Number two, and I'll be done. I want you to see it. When a godly seed was born, when a godly seed was born, look at verse 26 again. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son and he called his name Enos. 
Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now Eve said, verse number 25, that God had given them another seed after Abel had been killed. Now we know that Cain was a fleshly evil man. He rejected the sacrifices that he knew would please God, offered the work of his own hands. We understand that. Abel had been righteous. He accepted God's required sacrifice and brought the blood. And Adam and Eve had the promise that through Eve would come the promised seed. Don't you think they probably looked at Abel as the one through whom would come the promised seed? And now Abel's gone. And Eve says, God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. So here came Seth. And Adam lived for 800 years after Seth was born. And when sin began to bear fruit in the world, this sin is exploding in chapter four. These people began to pray for their son and their grandson to raise a godly seed in a sin-cursed world. So let me make an application from this. We are told why God made a man and his wife one physically. In Malachi chapter two, verse 15, it says that he might seek a godly seed. That's why one of the reasons God gives children to a marriage relationship. He doesn't just seek a good seed, folks. He seeks a godly seed, a godly seed. So here's Adam and Eve and Abel is this one that's going to be the promised seeds coming through his lineage and now he's dead. And then now here comes Seth and they see that he's a godly young man. And the Bible says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, praying against the evils of sin is right and good. Praying for God's power to live holy and righteous is good. But prayer must also be made for power to rear a godly seed for Christ. Truth of the matter is, because sin is bearing fruit in multiplied ways today, it is imperative for parents, grandparents, and folks, the truth is the whole church to be praying for a godly seed. It's imperative. We're not going to have godly kids come out of our homes without some effort in the area of prayer. You say, well, mine are already gone. Look around here. Look around here. Look, I am sure that Brother and Mrs. Che prayed for Brother Abe and Brother Johnny. I'm sure they did. But I'm also sure that those boys had a preacher who prayed for them. And they had Sunday school teachers who prayed for them. And they had youth leaders who prayed for them. And there was probably just men in the church that saw the little squirts running around and took it to the Lord in prayer and said, God, please do something with the young men and the young ladies of our church. And that, brother, if there's ever a day where the church needs to be engaged together in praying for a godly seed to come out of our churches, it's today. I know sin has always existed, but come on. Those of us that are in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, it is incredibly 
more in your face than it was back then. Preacher, you know that. It's crazy. And for us to be lazy and negligent in the area of praying for our children to be godly. It's hopeless almost. We've got to pray for the kids. We've got to pray for a godly seed. You say, Brother Angel, what do we pray? Well, pray that they'll receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Pray that they'll come to Christ at an early age. Pray that they'll be kept from the power of sin. Pray that they'll have a heart for God. Pray that they'll live in God's perfect will for their life. Pray that they'll walk in the old paths. Wherein is the good way? You know what most parents pray for now? Father, I pray that you'll please give my son a good job and Lord, help him to make enough money to own a house and help him to get to pursue the American dream and God have what they need. People, kids can do all of that unsaved. They can have houses and pursue the American dream and make money and have good jobs and die and go to hell. Is that really what we want? The American dream for our kids? Own a home? I'm, yeah, I'm glad most of our kids own their own home. I'm glad. But that's, that's, that's not the prayer. The prayer is that they might seek after God and have a heart for God and live for God and live in the will of God and walk in the old paths and eschew evil and love righteousness. Paul said about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, is that from a child? Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. How about that prayer for our kids? God help them to love the Bible. Help them to love the Bible which are able to make thee wise into salvation. That should give every parent motivation to pray for their kids, parents, grandparents, church members. Our prayers for our children better be godly and spiritual in nature. We better seek God for his power and his blessing in their lives. This is not the day for powerless, generic, fluffy things like God, please take care of Jim and Julie today. This is not the day for that folks. This is the day for us. Look, these kids are the target of Satan's attack. They're the target of the world's allurement and they have to deal with their old fleshly sin nature. To leave them to navigate against those enemies without powerful prayer support is to be derelict in parental duty. And I might add church duty. What would you think of the United States of America if they sent our military, our troops into battle with no weapons and no protection for the fight? And we send our kids out every day to do spiritual battle. And all we can say is God help them to make a, help them to make a good living in life. Folks, look, there's no filler in here. There's no filler in here. What do you mean, brother? I mean, there's nothing, there's no meaningless words. So, so why did God say then? 
began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because sin was beginning to bear fruit and a godly seed was born. And to rear children in a society where sin is just exploding, children who will live for God, it requires us to call on the name of the Lord. Now look, I'm sure I'm, I'm, if this church is like our church, just about every church we preach in, there's probably some parents sitting here with a grieving heart, like I got, an, I got an older son or daughter who's not living for God. Okay, but look, look, come on. Come on. How many children in those little Sunday school classes? How many kids in those nurseries? What a wonderful thing if the church would take up the responsibility of praying that God would rear a godly seed. I haven't taken the time to sit down and count the numbers, but you guys were not the only two that came out of that church that are living for God. There's a whole bunch of you. We were pleased to show Brother Gomez when the year of his retirement and he came to preach for us. We were pleased to show him a video of the kids that graduated from Faith Baptist Academy, went to his school that are, that are either serving in ministry or just good Christians. And it was, it was family after family after family. We don't have a perfect church and neither did they. But if we could dig into the inner core of those church families, I believe somewhere you would find people who were asking God, help our kids live for you. Help our kids serve you. Then began. What does that mean to you? There was a start. There was a beginning. So what are we going to do, church? We're going to sit around and lament what we haven't done, or are we going to begin? We're going to leave here tonight and go home and put a plan together that in my devotional praying, my devotional praying, you know what the kind of praying most of us do is emergency praying. But in devotional praying, we, we, we enter into devotional praying with some things written down, built on the model prayer that Jesus taught us. And he taught us there, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then God, please help our young people to live for you. Help our young people to be godly. It's not time to sit and lick your wounds. It's time to begin. Just begin. I read an article some years ago about an Olympic swimmer. It was a lady. She was an Olympic swimmer. swimmer. She had won a lot of gold medals and she was known to have a very rigorous, rigorous training regimen. That's probably why she won the, won the gold medals. Trained and trained and trained and trained. And one day she was doing an interview and the person doing the interview asked her, said, what 
what is the most difficult part about your training regimen? You know what she said? Getting in the water. Getting in the water. Once she got in the water, she got on with it. Do you need to get in the water tonight, folks? And I'm not preaching as an expert here. I'm preaching as one that the Holy Ghost has kind of kicked around the last several months as I've tried to prepare my own heart for this and for our church this year. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Why don't you decide tonight you're going to go home and get in the water. Begin. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.